Chapter Nine of Mount Royal, Volume One by Mary Elizabeth Braden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine Love is Love Forevermore. The Rosary, St. John's Wood. That was the address which Christabel had given the cabman. Had any less distinguished person than Stella Mayne lived at the Rosary, it might have taken the cabman all the evening to find that particular house, with no more detailed address as to road and number but a brother whip on a rank near hamilton terrace was able to tell christabel's cabman the way to the rosary it was a house at which hansoms were often wanted at unholy hours between midnight and sunrise a house whose chief hospitality took the form of chablis and oysters after the play a house which seldom questioned poor cabby's claim or went closely into mileage a house which deserved and commanded respectful mention on the rank the rosary yes that's where miss may lives beech tree road a low house with verandas all round you can't miss it the cabman rattled away to grove end road and thence to the superior quietude and seclusion of beech tree road where he drew up at a house with a glazed entrance he rang the bell and christabel alighted before the summons was answered is miss mayne at home she asked a servant in plain clothes a servant of unquestionable respectability yes ma'am he replied and preceded her along a corridor glass-roofed richly carpeted and with a bank of hot-house flowers on either side only at this ultimate moment did christabel's courage begin to falter she felt as if she were perhaps entering a den of vice innocent guileless as she was she had her own vague ideas about vice exaggerated as all ignorant ideas are apt to be she began to shiver as she walked over the dark subdued velvet pile of that shadowy corridor if she had found miss mayne engaged in giving a masked ball or last night's supper-party only just finishing or a party of young men playing blind hockey she would hardly have been surprised not that she knew anything about masked balls or late suppers or gambling but that all these would have come within her vague notions of an evil life he loved her she said to herself arguing against this new terror and he could not love a thoroughly wicked woman no the gretchen idea purity fallen simplicity led astray was more natural but one could hardly imagine gretchen in a house of this kind this subdued splendour this all-pervading air of wealth and luxury miss courtenay was shown into a small morning-room a room which on one side was all window opening on to a garden where some fine old trees gave an idea of space and where the foreground showed a mass of flowers roses 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 everywhere trailing over arches clustering round tall iron rods bush roses standard roses dwarf roses all shining in the golden light of a westering sun the room was elegantly simple an escritoire in the sheraton style two or three book-tables crowded with small volumes in exquisite binding vellum creamy calf brown russia red edges gold edges painted edges all the prettiness of bookbinding half a dozen low chairs downy nests covered with soft tawny indian silk with here and there a brighter patch of colour in the shape of a plush pillow or an old brocade antimacassar voluminous curtains of the same soft tawny silk embroidered with poppies and cornflowers a few choice flowers in old venetian vases a large peacock feather fan thrown beside an open book upon a low pillow-shaped ottoman christabel gazed round the room in blank surprise nothing gaudy nothing vulgar nothing that indicated sudden promotion from the garret to the drawing-room an air of elegant luxury of supreme fashion in all things 
but no glare of gilding no discords in form of colour your name if you please madam said the servant a modem of decorum in well-brushed black perhaps you had better take my card i am not personally known to miss mayne answered christabel opening her card-case oh she exclaimed suddenly as with a cry of pain i beg your pardon said the servant alarmed it's nothing a picture startled me that was all be good enough to tell miss mayne that i shall be very much obliged to her if she will see me certainly madam said the man as he retired with the card wondering how a young lady of such distinguished appearance happened to call upon his mistress whose feminine visitors were usually of a more marked type i dare say she's collectin funds for one of their everlastin churches thought the butler i low or jack as i call em i church low church or john wesley ever so many predominations and all of em equally keen after money but why did she almost shriek when she clapped her eyes on mr amley's portrait i wonder just as if she had seen a scorpion christabel stood motionless with a man left her looking at a photograph on a brass easel upon an old ebony table in the middle of the room a cluster of stephanotis in a low venetian vase stood in front of the portrait like flowers before a shrine it was an exquisitely painted photograph of angus hamley angus at his best and brightest before the flush and glory of youth had faded from eyes and brow angus with a vivacity of expression which she had never seen in his face she who had known him only since the fatal hereditary disease had set its mark upon him ah she sighed he was happier when he loved her than he ever was with me she stood gazing at that pictured face her hands clasped her heart beating heavily everything confirmed her in her despair in her iron resolve at last with a long-drawn sigh she withdrew her eyes from the picture and began to explore the room no there was no trace of vulgarity no ugly indications of a vicious mind christabel glanced at the open book on the ottoman half expecting to find the trail of the serpent there in some shameful french novel the very name of which she had not been allowed to hear but the book was only the last contemporary review open at an article of gladstone's then with faintly tremulous hand she took one of the vellum-bound duodecimos from a shelf of the revolving book-table selections from shelley and on the title page angus to stella rome and a date just three years old in the hand she knew so well she looked in other books all choicest flowers of literature and in each there was the same familiar penmanship sometimes with a brief sentence that made the book a souvenir sometimes with a passionate line from shakespeare or dante Heine or de musset christabel remembered with a sharp pang of jealousy that her lover had never so written in any book he had given her she ignored the change which a year or two may make in a man's character when he has reached one of the turning points of life and how a graver deeper phase of feeling less eager to express itself in other people's flowery language succeeds youth's fervid sentiment had werther lived and loved a second charlotte assuredly he would have loved her after a wiser and graver fashion but christabel had believed herself her lover's first and only love and finding that she was but the second volume in his life abandoned herself at once to despair she sank into one of the low luxurious chairs just as the door opened and miss mayne came into the room if she had looked lovely as psyche in her classic drapery with the emerald butterfly on her shoulder she looked no less beautiful in the costly simplicity of her home toilette 
she wore a sack-shaped tea-gown of soft french-grey silk lined with palest pink satin over a petticoat that seemed a mass of cream-coloured lace her only ornaments were three half-hoop rings rubies diamonds and sapphires too large for the slender third finger of her left hand and half concealing a thin wedding-ring and a star-shaped brooch one large cat's eye with diamond rays which fastened the lace handkerchief at her throat christabel quick to observe the woman whose existence had ruined her life noted everything from the small perfectly shaped head shaped for beauty rather than mental power to the little arched foot in its pearl-coloured silk stocking and grey satin slipper for the first time in her life she beheld a woman whose chief business in this world was to look her loveliest at all times and seasons for a friend or foe for whom the perfection of costume was the study and delight of life who lived and reigned by the divine right of beauty pray sit down said miss mayne with a careless wave of her hand so small so delicate and fragile looking under the lace ruffle i am quite at a loss to guess to what i am indebted for the honour of this visit she looked at her visitor scrutinizingly with those dark too lustrous eyes a hectic flush burned in her hollow cheeks she had heard a good deal about this miss courtenay of mount royal and mayfair and she came prepared to do battle for some moments christabel was dumb it was one thing to have come into this young lioness's den and another to know what to say to the lioness but the straightness and purity of the girl's purpose upheld her and her courage hardly faltered i have come to you miss mayne because i will not consent to be governed by common report i want to know the truth the whole truth however bitter it may be for me in order that i may know how to act miss mayne had expected a much sharper mode of attack she had been prepared to hear herself called scorpion or viper the pest of society a form of address to which she would have been able to reply with a startling sharpness but to be spoken to thus gravely gently pleadingly and with that sweet girlish face looking at her in unspeakable sorrow was something for which she had not prepared herself you speak to me like a lady like a good woman she said falteringly what is it you want to know i have been told that mr hamley angus hamley was once your lover is that true true as the stars in heaven the stars by which we swore to love each other to the end of our lives looking up at them with our hands clasped as we stood on the deck of the steamer between dover and calais that was our marriage i used to think that god saw it and accepted it just as if we had been in church only it did not hold water you see she added with a cynical laugh which ended in a hard little cough he loved you dearly i can see that by the lines that he wrote in your books i ventured to look at them while i waited for you why did he not marry you stella mayne shrugged her shoulders and played with the soft lace of her fichu it is not the fashion to marry a girl who dances in short petticoats and lives in an attic she answered perhaps such a girl might make a good wife if a man had the courage to try the experiment such things have been done i believe but most men prefer the safer course if i had been clever i dare say mr hamley would have married me but i was an ignorant little fool and when he came across my path he seemed to me like an angel of light i simply worshipped him you've no idea how innocent i was in those days not a carefully educated ladylike innocence like yours don't you know but absolute ignorance i didn't know any wrong but then i didn't know any right you see i am quite candid with you i thank you with all my heart for your truthfulness everything for you for me for angus 
depends on our perfect truthfulness i want to do what is best what is wisest what is right not for myself only but for angus for you those lovely liquid eyes looked at her incredulously what cried stella mayne with her mocking little laugh a musical little laugh trained for comedy and unconsciously artificial do you mean to tell me that you care a straw what becomes of me that it matters to you whether i die in the gutter where i was born or pitch myself into the regent's canal some night when i have a fit of the blue devils i care very much what becomes of you i should not be here if i did not wish to do what is best for you then you come as my friend and not as my enemy said stella yes i am here as your friend answered christabel with an effort the actress a creature all impulse and emotion fell on her knees at miss courtenay's feet and pressed her lips upon the lady's gloved hand how good you are she exclaimed how good how good i have read of such women they swarm in the novels i get from muddy they and fiends there's no middle distance but i never believed in them when the man brought me your card i thought you had come to blackcard me christabel shuddered at the coarse word so out of harmony with that vellum-bound shelley and all the graciousness of miss mayne's surroundings forgive me said stella seeing her disgust i am horribly vulgar i never was like that while while angus cared for me why did he leave off caring for you asked christabel looking gravely down at the lovely upturned face so exquisite in its fragile sensitive beauty now stella mayne was one of those complex creatures quite out of the range of a truthful woman's understanding a creature who could be candour itself could gush and prattle with the innocent expansiveness of a child so long as there was nothing she particularly desired to conceal yet who could lie with the same sweet air of childlike simplicity when it served her purpose lie with the calm stolidity the invincible assurance of an untruthful child she did not answer christabel's question immediately but looked at her thoughtfully for a few seconds wondering how much of her history this young lady knew and to what extent lying might serve she had slipped from her knees to a sitting position on the persian hearth-rug her thin semi-transparent hands clasped upon her knee the triple circlet of gems flashing in the low sunlight why did we part she asked shrugging her shoulders i hardly know temper i suppose he has not too good a temper and i-well i am a demon when i am ill and i am often ill you keep his portrait on your table said christabel keep it yes and round my neck answered stella jerking a gold locket out of her loose gown and opening it to show the miniature inside i have worn his picture against my heart ever since he gave it to me during our first italian tour i shall wear it so when i am dead yes when he is married and happy with you and i am lying in my grave in hendon churchyard do you know i have bought and paid for my grave why did you do that because i wanted to make sure of not being buried in a cemetery a city of the dead streets and squares and alleys of gravestones i had chosen a spot under a great spreading cedar in a churchyard that might be a hundred miles from london and yet it is quite near here and handy for those who will have to take me i shall not give any one too much trouble perhaps if you will let him angus may come to my funeral and drop a bunch of violets on my coffin why do you talk like that because the end cannot be very far off do you think i look as if i should live to be a grandmother the hectic bloom the unnatural light in those lovely eyes the transparent hands and purple-tinted nails did not indeed point to such a conclusion 
if you are really ill why do you go on acting asked christabel gently surely the fatigue and excitement must be very bad for you i hardly know the fatigue may be killing me but the excitement is the only thing that keeps me alive besides i must live thirty pounds a week is a consideration but you are not in want of money exclaimed christabel mr hamleigh would never leave me to starve interrupted stella hurriedly no i have plenty of money while while we were happy mr hamleigh lavished his money upon me he was always absurdly generous and if i wanted money now i should have but to hold out my hand i have never known the want of money since i left my attic four and sixpence a week with the use of the kitchen fire to boil a kettle or cook a chop when my resources rose to a chop it was oftener a bloater do you know the other day when i was dreadfully ill and they had been worrying me with invalid turtle jellies oysters caviar all kinds of loathsome daintinesses and the doctor said i should die if i didn't eat i thought perhaps i might get back the old appetite for bloater and bread and butter i used to enjoy a bloater tea so in those old days but it was no use the very smell of the thing almost killed me the whole house was poisoned with it she prattled on looking up at christabel with a confiding smile the visit had taken quite a pleasant turn she had no idea that anything serious was to come of it her quondam lover's affianced wife had taken it into her head to come and see what kind of stuff mr hamley's former idol was made of that was all and the lady's amiability was making the interview altogether agreeable yet in another moment the pain and sorrow in christabel's face showed her there was something stronger than frivolous curiosity in the lady's mind pray be serious with me said christabel remember that the welfare of three people depends upon my resolution in this matter it would be easy for me to say i will shut my eyes to the past he has told me that he loves me and i will believe him but i will not do that i will not live a life of suspicion and unrest just for the sweet privilege of bearing him company and being called by his name dear as that thought is to me no it shall be all or nothing if i cannot have his whole heart i will have none of it you confess that you wear his picture next to your heart do you still love him yes always 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 answered the actress fervently this at least was no bold-faced lie there was truth's divine accent here there is no man like him on this earth and then in low impassioned tones she quoted those passionate lines of mrs browning's there is no one beside thee and no one above thee thou standest alone as the nightingale sings and my words that would praise thee are impotent things and do you believe that he has quite left off loving you no answered the actress looking up at her with flashing eyes i don't believe it i don't believe he could after all we have been to each other it isn't in human nature to forget such love as ours and you believe if he were free if he had not engaged himself to me perhaps hardly intending it he would come back to you yes if he knew how ill i am if he knew what the doctor says about me i believe he would come back and marry you asked christabel deadly pale that's as may be retorted the other with her parisian shrug christabel stood up and laid her clenched hand on the low draperied mantelpiece almost as if she were laying it out on an altar to give emphasis to an oath then he shall come back then he shall marry you she said in a grave earnest voice i will rob no woman of her husband i will doom no fellow-creature to lifelong shame 
what cried stella mayne with almost a shriek you will give him up for me yes he has never belonged to me as he has belonged to you it is no shame for me to renounce him grief and pain yes grief and pain unspeakable but no disgrace he has sinned and he must atone for his sin i will not be the impediment to your marriage but if you were to give him up he might not marry me men are so difficult to manage faltered the actress aghast at the idea of such a sacrifice seeing the whole business in the light of circumstances unknown to miss courtenay not men with conscience and honour answered christabel with unshaken firmness i feel very sure that if mr hamley were free he would do what is right it is only his engagement to me that hinders his making atonement to you he has lived among worldly people who have never reminded him of his duty who have blunted his finer feelings with their hideous worldliness oh i know how worldly women talk as if there were neither hell nor heaven only belgravia and mayfair and no doubt worldly men are still worse but he he whom i have so loved and honoured cannot be without honour and conscience he shall do what is just and right she looked almost inspired as she stood there with pale cheeks and kindling eyes thinking far more of that broad principle of justice than of the fragile emotional creature trembling before her this comes of feeding a girl's mind with shakespeare and bacon carlyle and plato to say nothing of that still broader and safer guide the gospel just then there was the sound of footsteps approaching the door a measured masculine footfall the emotional creature flew to the door opened it murmured a few words to some person without and closed it but not before a whiff of latakia had been wafted into the flower-scented room the footsteps moved away in another direction and christabel was much too absorbed to notice that faint breath of tobacco there's not the least use in your giving him up said stella resolutely he would never marry me you don't know him as well as i do do i not i have lived only to study his character for the best part of a year i know he will do what is just stella mayne suddenly clasped her hands before her face and sobbed aloud oh if i were only good and innocent like you she cried piteously how i detest myself as i stand here before you how loathsome how hateful i am no no murmured christabel soothingly you are not hateful it is only impenitent sin that is hateful you were led into wrong-doing because you were ignorant of right there was no one to teach you no one to uphold you and he who tempted you is in duty bound to make amends trust me trust me it is better for my peace as well as for yours that he should do his duty and now good-bye i have stayed too long already again stella mayne fell on her knees and clasped this divine visitant's hand it seemed to this weak yet fervid soul almost as if some angel guest had crossed her threshold christabel stooped and would have kissed the actress's forehead no she cried hysterically don't kiss me don't you don't know i should feel like judas good-bye then trust me and so they parted a tall man with an iron-grey moustache and a soldier-like bearing came out of a little study cigarette in hand as the outer door closed on christabel who the deuce is that thoroughbred-looking girl asked this gentleman have you got some of the neighbouring swells to call upon you at last why what's the row fishkey you've been crying 
fishkey was the stage carpenter's dresser's and supernumerary's pronunciation of the character which miss mayne acted nightly and had been sportively adopted by her intimates as a pet name for herself that lady is miss courtenay the lady hamley is going to marry what the devil is she doing in this galere i hope she hasn't been making herself unpleasant she is an angel with all my heart hamley is very welcome to her so long as he leaves me my dear little demon answered the soldier smiling down from his altitude of six feet two at the sylph-like form in the watteau gown oh how i wish i had never seen your face said stella i should be almost a good woman if there were no such person as you in the world end of chapter nine end of mount royal volume one by mary elizabeth braden recorded by celine major